by Muckle LLP, a highly successful full-service commercial law firm based in Newcastle-upon-Tyne in the north of England. We support businesses, organisations and individuals all over the UK and beyond. And with this podcast series, we share business insight and practical tips to help you with the full spectrum of commercial law. Hello everyone, today's episode is all about data. Yes, I know this might not seem exciting for some, but it's one subject that is very relevant now, especially in these strange times, and increasingly important for businesses to get right. The impact of lockdown and the pandemic is driving more attention to data and its use than ever before, particularly as we now move into this phase of restart. Organisations are naturally now concerned about what they can and cannot do with staff health data, Staff want to know how their data will be used by organisations and the public has questions over track and trace. After a period of accelerated technology adoption at the start of lockdown, we are all very much aware of the increase in security challenges with the way we are now living and working. Today's podcast aims to answer a few of those burning questions on data. It's used by organisations and the focus of the ICO as well as concerns around track and trace and what we can expect to see. I'm Andrea Gibson, Director of Business Development at Muckle LLP, and I'm joined today by our in-house data experts, Alex Craig, partner and head of the commercial team, and Sam Roberts, solicitor in the team. Hi, guys. Hi, Andy. Hi, Andy. Hello. Thanks both for joining me today. I know your team regularly deal with data protection queries from businesses across the UK, especially since the renewed focus on data protection following the implementation of GDPR in 2018. I suppose one of the key areas of concern at the moment for organisations is that of compliance. I know organisations have naturally been worrying about compliance, whilst many have been operating a reduced staff level in this current situation. In particular, I know that they are worried about compliance with timeframes and deadlines, for example, in dealing with subject access requests. Alex, what's the regulator's stance on this? Hi, Andy. So the regulator, the ICO, the Information Commissioner's Office, uh, issued a statement and a paper at the start of lockdown to sort of clarify this exact point and allay some of those concerns. So whilst compliance is still required and the ICO can't change the uh, statutory timeframes that are in place, they did absolutely recognise the stress that organisations are under and have acknowledged that there may well be challenges with compliance with timeframes and deadlines for responses. They've said they'll take that into account when monitoring compliance in this area and they're not looking to penalise those who've had to prioritise in other areas, which is all really, you know, a quite positive um, answer to some of those concerns that you've, you've raised that people do have. The ITO has been quite clear all the way through that they want to work with organisations, support them. They're trying to be flexible and proportionate in their actions. Interestingly, the last time I had a look on their website, they hadn't actually posted any action taken since March, which absolutely supports um, the approach that they say they're going to take. The, the other point on all of that is um, exactly what you said about security, Andy. So obviously with the massive accelerated adoption of IT, 
and the increase in remote working, there's been a huge concern around security and protection of data. Um, and so what the ICO have also done is they've issued guidance, um, so home working guidance to support those organisations who are perhaps less used to remote working and reiterated the importance of accountability and the fact that organisations need to demonstrate compliance. So <clears throat> some organisations were worried about how they told individuals what they were doing with their data and the ICO simply stressed the importance of being able to demonstrate compliance through record keeping and undertaking data protection impact assessments where appropriate. Okay, so Alex, you know that I'm not a lawyer. So can you explain what um, a data protection impact assessment is? Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's a bit of jargon there. So uh, data protection impact assessment is essentially a process whereby you review the activity that's being undertaken, the data protection risks associated with that, whether the proposed activity is necessary and proportionate, um, what mitigating actions that can be put in place to counter the risks and a plan that mitigation has been effective. And so what you do is you then record that assessment process and then you keep it under review. So once you've done it, you don't kind of put it in the drawer and forget about it. You then review and monitor that regularly. So if you are adopting a new piece of technology, for example, and there's going to be substantial processing of data through it, then you might want to consider undertaking a data protection impact assessment. Okay. So what sort of situation would require a data protection impact assessment? Yep, so exactly the sort of situations that we're seeing now. So by way of example, if as an organisation you're considering return to work and undertaking staff testing for COVID, then because you will be collecting health data, which is special category personal data, you should be conducting a data protection impact assessment to ensure that what you're doing is appropriate and proportionate and whether you actually need to do that or whether something else might achieve the same result. So you need to consider what personal information is necessary for your purpose, whether you really need that information, how you're going to keep it safe and secure and as I say, whether there's an alternative available to you that would achieve the same result. And if there is, you should probably be doing that rather than um, and taking the data that you were anticipating taking. Okay, so I understand that if you're processing personal data, you need a lawful basis under the, under the legislation to do so. If you are processing health data as a result of testing, what, what is the lawful basis? Yeah, so this depends on your organisation, Andy, to be honest. So if you're, for example, a public authority, it's likely to be public task is the lawful basis for the processing. For other organisations, it might well be legitimate interest. But the key thing here is that because health data is special category data, you also have to identify a condition for processing. And in that employer-employee relationship, that will be the employment condition due to your health and safety obligations and it should enable processing of what you need to process in these circumstances. Okay, so as a member of staff, how, how do I find out what my employer is doing with my data? 
As with all aspects of data protection legislation, transparency is really critical and employers have to be clear, open and honest with employees about how and why they wish to use um, the staff personal data and in particular health information. So your privacy information should be clear and accessible. Um, if the employer just doesn't have time to update policies and procedures, you should at the very least be telling staff what's required, why, who it's going to be shared with. The tricky thing at the moment is retention. So under the data protection legislation, you have to be clear as to how long you're going to keep somebody's data for. And that's tricky in relation to COVID, obviously, because we're not, we're not really very sure what what period of time we're looking at but you do need to give an indication as to how long you might keep that data so you need to take a relatively sensible common sense approach to that um, and accept that retention periods will need reviewing as i say we don't know how long this is going to continue but presumably there will come a point where this data is no longer needed so you need to bear that in mind okay okay so sticking with the subject of health data then, I suppose a lot of people will be worried about testing positive and how that information can then be shared within an organisation. How should employers approach this? So it's, again, tricky and you do need a lot of a lot of common sense i think when you when you're dealing with data protection so from a safety perspective that obviously you need to keep staff informed about potential or confirmed covid cases amongst colleagues but you do need to try to avoid naming individuals if at all possible and you shouldn't be providing more information than's necessary so again it's that whole concept of what's proportionate and necessary really that you need to think about mm -hmm. the ico has been at pains to be clear all the way through the pandemic that data protection law doesn't stop sharing of data you need to just consider the legislation and ensure that sharing of information is done lawfully with a sensible proportionate approach okay thanks alex i think this brings us nicely onto the subject of test and trace um, at the moment a lot of individuals and businesses alike are concerned about the test and trace system sam can you explain what test and trace means hi andy um yeah, of course. Um, a lot of individuals and businesses at the moment will have seen um, a lot of different terms uh, bounded around um, on the internet, online, in the media and whatnot. And there's the test and trace system um, and contact tracing as well is something that um, individuals and organisations may have seen popping up in the news. And it's one of those methods which is essentially used to try and slow down the spread of the virus. Um, it has been used for other infectious uh, diseases and viruses as well before. And the intention is when it's applied properly the uh, contact tracing test and trace is supposed to break that chain of transmission of the disease and virus um, and it's one of, those, one of those things that's seen as um, a, a good tool for trying to control the outbreaks and mm -hmm. um, so what it then tends to do is uh, the technique of, of contact tracing then tries to essentially ascertain whether anybody has been in contact with somebody that's tested positive for the virus um, in a time when they were possibly infectious and the test and trace contact tracing methods um, are basically being used to support communications with those individuals who might be risk of infection so it basically makes sure that they're aware of the risk 
they're given the appropriate information so they can take steps to protect themselves and other people around them and then receive any other support that they might need. So um, I believe that the hope is with this test and trace and contact tracing is that it will avoid the need for another national lockdown and it may be that um, local restrictions might be local restrictions sorry might be used instead um, or it may negate the need for any sort of um, lockdown local or national uh, entirely we're not sure yet mm-hmm. um, so like I mentioned before uh, so there's a test and trace system that's the manual system and then the soon to be released um, although recently it's been pushed back um, the contact tracing app which people may have seen which is more of an automatic system um, so just a, a little bit about both of those and the difference so uh, with test and once you've got symptoms you get tested and if it's positive the NHS will then speak to the person who has tested positive and look to source people that they've been in contact with so it's um, people that you've been in contact with within two meters for 15 minutes or one meter for more than a minute and then those people are then contacted and asked to self-isolate for 14 days and uh, differently so the contact tracing systems are more automatic system it works slightly differently um, it's been developed by NHS X which is the digital arm of the NHS and essentially once you've downloaded the app it all works via Bluetooth technology on your phone so essentially it's meant to record the distance between your phone and and people around you provided you've got the app installed and other people around you have and if you then become unwell and test positive for the coronavirus um, you can allow the app to inform the NHS that will then automatically trigger a notification which the NHS can then send out anonymously to other people who have the app and that you've been in contact with over the the time period Um, and then those app users will be given the information that I mentioned earlier and and advice on what to do next. I think crucially for this to work the app has got to be installed on um, individuals phones and so if you've been in contact with somebody who's not using the app then uh, that person's obviously not going to be notified. Okay and I've heard about the Google and the Apple initiative How does this fit into the UK's test and trace approach? Yeah, so the Google and Apple initiative um, is essentially what they've said is a solution um, that allows what's called APIs application programming interfaces now I've got to admit I'm not an an expert in IT and and tech um, in that sense of the word but essentially it allows interoperability between Android and sort of iOS Apple devices using apps from public health authorities and the Apple and Google solution isn't actually a contact tracing app itself it just facilitates the access and I don't believe that they're looking to build an app at the moment Um, but what they've done is they're in phase one at the moment um, and they've indicated that they're looking to move to a phase two to develop a little bit more functionality into this particular solution <clears throat> and um, essentially it just enables those third parties um, who create the contact tracing apps so like NHSX um, and allows them to exchange information via this Bluetooth low energy between those devices um, mm-hmm. so essentially that's what it is um, and uh, individuals organizations might have seen um, and if you haven't and if you're interested in the subjects I do I do recommend that you read it the the information commissioner had uh, released an opinion on the matter just to sort of discuss the concerns and the considerations around this particular initiative 
perspective mm-hmm. um, and what she thinks um, about it and how that aligns with the principles of data protection um, and she considered those and interestingly had said that it is um, in itself aligned with those principles of data protection by design and default um, and also around uh, those principles about data minimization and security which a lot of people are going to be concerned about Um, the intention behind this solution is only really to generate a limited amount of data from someone's um, device whether it be an iPhone or an Android device Um, and there's no sharing or at least um, from from what's been said um, online about the solution there's none there's no sharing of uh, personal data in that sense and um, what the commissioner has said is uh, on the flip side so for example NHSX and other organizations that are designing the contact tracing apps that will use that solution and um, obviously have to consider compliance with data protection law and as Alex mentioned earlier the uh, data protection principles and obviously the legislation that sits um, behind anything that anyone does with personal data is really important um, Alex mentioned proportionality and again Again, things like data minimization and security um, a lot of the personal data that will be input into these types of apps will be special category and people are going to be really concerned about security and and how their personal data is being used which is why uh, you'll have seen a lot about it in the media at the moment and um, particularly in the last week so uh, the NHS have announced that they actually are moving towards this Google Apple initiative protocol as I think it has the best chance of success so Originally, um, the app had been built on the basis that it would be a, what's called a centralised model. Um, so the data is collected from individual devices and then sent to a central server. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of uh, people that have been campaigning, um, lots of privacy experts have basically criti- criticised that approach and suggested um, Apple and Google's initiative, which is decentralised, which is believed to offer greater data security and it means less access to that personal data um, so that's where the NHS is at at the moment and all, all of that has sort of come to a head in the last week or so um, I think as well that the, the issue with um, the NHS X version of the app is um, being able to register the different types of devices and the way in which it had been developed it only managed to register 75% of nearby Android devices and only 4% of iPhones which is obviously a really small amount mm-hmm. um, the difference with this Apple and Google solution is that it's a lot more accurate so it's 99% of both Android devices and, um, and iPhones mm-hmm. um, but there is still at the moment I think a couple of teeth and problems and difficulties uh, between sort of measuring the the distance between those users devices and obviously it's important to be able to manage and measure that distance because Mm -hmm. um, you've got the two meter one meter rule and it's it's just not going to be successful if it can't accurately measure those Um, so I believe the app's not going to be ready until the winter um, which is some time away so that's essentially what that is and actually what a couple people might have noticed I know I did I've been chatting to a couple of friends over the last week um, and Mm -hmm. interestingly with the last iOS up update um, it included some of these changes some um, COVID-19 yeah. changes so yeah so if you go into the health yeah. section of your settings you'll see that exposure login feature um, so it's automatically switched off so if anybody's interested and if you've got an iPhone go in there and have a look and if you've updated to the latest version of iOS it's in there um, it can't be turned on without an authorized app installed but um, it's definitely worth having a look if you're interested yeah I've okay. seen the same thing Sam had friends saying oh have you noticed that it's like suddenly appeared so yeah, yeah it's definitely all underway yeah 
Thanks, Sam. Definitely want to be aware of. I suspect a lot of businesses will be worried about how this will impact their staff. What advice would you give to businesses around how to comply and keep their employees safe? Yeah, so I completely understand why that would be a concern for a lot of businesses um, generally around sort of um, the, the virus itself and the need for people to self isolate if they've got symptoms for, for 14 days, which is a significant piece of time, uh, length of time, sorry, for somebody to be, you know, out of out of work. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not an employment lawyer, but um, my understanding from a legal perspective is that you know an employee will be entitled to sick pay um, statutory sick pay or um, it may be that they could take some time off as annual leave es essentially in terms of, of that difficulty um, you would just need to follow your own policies and procedures um, around sickness um, and ensure that you continue to abide by the data protection laws and government guidance um, so for example in terms of the government guidance uh, safe working when people or if people uh, can come back to the office dependent on how that looks um, so there's both of those to consider um, with regards to um, sort of somebody who's been notified for example by uh, the contact tracing app or uh, manually by test and trace that they are required to self-isolate for 14 days and then you know it, it's, it's difficult but it's something that businesses um, and people are just going to have to you know work through um, and and uh, in terms of being able to ask, uh, for example, employees for sort of evidence of obligation to self-isolate um, or any sort of positive test, it sort of links back to what Alex was saying earlier around proportionality um, and making sure that you comply with that, uh, following your own policies and procedures. Uh, so, for example, an employee can self-certify for seven days, um, but I believe that the NHS website offers like, online self-isolation notes and things like that. So it's just being aware of everything like that. Um, and just keeping on, on, on top of it but yeah I can completely understand um, about the impact that it might have um, so you've just got to make sure that you uh, keep on top of it and make sure that you're completely okay with all government guidance and, and just ask if, you, if, you, if you're not sure um, it's just one of those things you can pick up the phone and uh, ask the question. Thanks Sam for clarifying that's really helpful. I think one question from me is around security and the increase in scammers Alex, what do businesses need to do to protect themselves as this issue escalates? So, um, yeah, I mean, there, there has been and people will have seen that there has been a massive increase in sort of phishing, fraudulent activity, scamming going on. And in fact, the ICO did issue um, a statement around that, about taking care around um, online activity and what you can do to sort of protect yourself. All mm. of that's available on their, the ICO's website. If you have a look, they've got a whole data protection and COVID section. You can click through and find the bits that are relevant to what you're worried about. But there's definitely been an, a hike in that sort of activity because everybody is operating online and you've got businesses like ours who are fully remote. Mm -hmm. So, um, and you've got people undertaking a lot more online shopping um, and sort of administrative tasks than, than perhaps normally. And I think that will only increase. So it's a, it's a case of being very, very vigilant and being very savvy as to how your, um, so institutions like banks and 
etc contact you um, and being aware of if you know if you get something that looks like it's come from a peculiar email address for example just think twice You've, you need to have that inbuilt sort of think twice moment now um, so that mm -hmm. you don't end up in a, in a tricky situation so definitely need to be vigilant on that one Great. Okay, that's fabulous. Well, thanks again, uh, Alex and Sam, for joining me today. And thanks again for you all for listening. I think if you have any further questions, please free to send them to us via the usual email address, advice at muckle-llp.com, or give our team a call on our normal number, 0191 7777. Um, data protection can seem a bit of a minefield, but by understanding the terminology and the compliance rules, we hope to help guide you in your business to ensure you get it right first time. Don't forget, we have a wealth of information on our website at www.muckle-llp.com, where you'll find helpful guidance notes, videos and podcasts on data protection and a whole host of other subjects. You can also sign up for our regular e-newsletters to keep you and your business up to date with legal and business matters okay thanks again bye thanks very much thank you don't miss the next episode of the legal spectrum where we'll hear from michael corral managing director of bay plastics a local plastics manufacturer who has had to diversify to stay afloat in the current pandemic. Michael shares his story, the risks he took, the challenges he faced, together with business insight into how his business and his team adapted to this new reality. I hope you can join us next time.